0: going to be the revolting podcast okay with steve and robot on the cycling independent it's episode 115 the year uh, punk rock went broke
1: yeah 115th episode content warning oh man you've reached a decision point in your day are you ready for adult content and situations are you prepared for some adult language this is the moment red pill or blue chocolate or vanilla in the face or in the gut it's up to you we don't care take a hike and, uh, we got all kinds of stuff to cover, man. We were, we hit the ground running before we hit the record button. Um, so you want to set us up?
0: Well, uh, here's what happened. I, um, was busy, um, making, I was busy making, uh, and then I was like, oh no, I got to go podcast with Steve. So I came out here and I dialed it up and I saw him sleeping (laughs) in his closet and then he woke up and immediately launched into a story about turds
1: (laughs) that brings you up to the current moment okay and by making robot means uh the turtle was he was turtling he didn't know if he had to make a poo and he said he didn't know if that was going to go long and i said the poo or the time spent making the poo and he said well one is kind of equal to the other and then I said, "In the business, we call that a Garth McJunkin." And then he started <laughs> laughing. And I said, "Have I have just Have I told you that story before?" To which he responded, "No." I said, "Let's. We might as well get into this now." So, when I was in first grade, I was in Rosie Polly's first grade <laughs> class. <laughs> And <laughs> when I was in first grade, it's not how I thought this was going to start. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's like three classrooms, right? And these little quads. And the boys had a couple bathrooms and the girls had a couple of bathrooms. And um, we're sitting there in whatever doing whatever first graders do in class. And like there becomes this sort of rumbling of like, A couple of boys like go outside into the into the little uh, uh, bathroom breezeway area. I don't know. It's just like this quad, I guess. And um, and then a few more boys are out there, and a few more boys are out there, and then pretty soon, like, all of the boys from all the classes are, like, standing in line to look in, <laughs> to look in the toilet. And Garth McJunkin had made a, just an enormous poo <laughs> for, you know, like a seven-year-old boy. This is, like, the size of an adult person's arm. And it was... <laughs> <laughs> It, it was so impressive. And I even at that young age I was like I was like, man, this has just like caused quite a stir, you know, like and then, the, and then the teachers are like trying to simmer everybody down and like, all right, everybody get back to your seats. You know? It's just like, like coming in a whisper like, dude, you gotta go into the bathroom just made the biggest duke. So, yeah, so we call it the Garth McJunkin when you make a giant poo. It turns out, as an adult, he is also still a, a big dude, probably capable of making big, like, equal-sized poos.
0: He's making regular Garth McJunkins. <laughs> 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 two things about this. Um, I, I can't, I'm shocked that it's only two, but two things about this. The first one is... How in the actual fuck is his name Garth
1: McJunkin? <laughs> his actual name is Donald. And then he picked Garth. Garth seemed better. I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. All I right. don't
0: know. But I mean, if his if his name had been like um a Jason Anderson, you wouldn't call that a Jason Anderson, would you? It's because it's a Garth McJunkin.
1: Well, it just makes it, it makes it extra.
0: It does make it extra. The second question is, how is this the way we have started today's (laughs) podcast?
1: Uh, Usually people
0: wait till later to turn it off.
1: (laughs) We're both 12 year olds at heart. It's like
0: uh, we couldn't get through the content warning fast enough to get to Garth McJunkin.
1: (laughs) I said that all in one breath and then immediately (laughs) launched into a story about Big poos. Uh, I you know okay so this has been a bit of a week. Well, yeah, a week since we re- last recorded has been what wi- pretty wild on my end. I already wrote a whole Instagram post about it, but I'll tell the story again because it was it. it was a little uh serendipitous. Oh, and also I listened to last week's episode and I get so excited I inhale real quick and it makes these like big pop inhale sounds. Oh. Uh-huh. So I noticed that I'm going to try to breathe more, um, um, mindfully.
0: You know what now. I do that annoys me is I make this lip smacking sound before I <laughs> launch into a story. I don't know what the fuck that is, but I'm like, I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, like oh. I feel like I got a good one. So I got to smack my lips before yeah, I launch. into. You, I don't preparing.
1: know. You're so preparing dumb. your mouth to to deliver the goods. Yeah. Okay. It might just be because I like I don't know. Maybe I have asthma. Either way, it's annoying. So I'm gonna I'm trying to fix it. So last week, I've had uh, I don't know where to start. I guess well when I was in first grade. Uh, no, that's not where the story <laughs> starts. Uh, I blew my knee out in April. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I blew it out like really like the first time. But hey, you no. Know, what the fuck? Can you see that?
0: I don't know what you're doing.
1: My phone just <laughs> turned on and automatically it just started like. It was just a camera on my phone. That was wild. Okay. Uh, I blew my knee out in, in 2015, and and then I got a I got, I got a cadaver a patch, and yeah. um. Uh, everything was good until this past April and then I fell down.
0: Let me just back up. You got a cadaver patch means that they took the tendon out of a dead person and put it in your knee,
1: Mm -hmm. which apparently is not the way to go now. Like that. They prefer to use your own tissue. All right. Um, and the, the, the way that the doctor described it to me was that you're, you're healing from one surgery as opposed to two surgeries because they take a piece out of your hip or something and then put it in your leg. So you've got a hole in your hip and a hole in your knee. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, I t- sort of did a, a lateral hyperextension again in April and hurt myself again, got an MRI, did a consultation, got another MRI or got another consultation in October cause I was sure it, it had healed. Um, got another MRI It had not healed. I wasn't filled with a whole lot of confidence with the, with the surgeon who I had the second consultation with. So my friend Sonia suggested, I see this guy in Issaquah, which is Seattle basically. And, um, I booked the appointment like, it took like two months to get the appointment with this dude. And he was just random. I didn't know anything about him, but Sonia vouched for him. (laughs) So finally the day comes and I am fucking keyed up. I'm scared. I don't know where I'm going. I'm nervous about my injury. I'm feeling physically deficient. Uh, like, oh, there's just a whole host of emotions. And I drive down there. It's probably an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes down there. And also I hate driving anyway. So that was like stressed me out. So I get to the appointment early. I queue up my computer. So I have the MRI, I have the images I have the report that the last doctor wrote and I'm sitting there and uh, the doctor walks in and he's real nice and we start chit-chatting and I can, I know that he can tell that I'm on like 10 hits, you know, like my my eyes, when I really get a lot of anxiety, my eyes dilate and I get get all this fucking weird, like physical response. And and so he's kind of like talking me down and he goes, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I mean, I'm... I guess, like, I'm kind of, I'm something of an artist, I guess, that's sort of, but my day job is, is this, uh, website called All Hail the Black Market, and he's taking notes, and he stops, and he looks at me, and he goes, I have one of your stickers on my truck, and I was just like, what? (laughs) And he goes, yeah, I emailed you nine months ago about, like, if we could use, I, I run this bicycle company, we're making really nice titanium frames, and I wanted to use some of your slogans or whatever on, you know, with our branding And he said, and understandably, you said, no, because, you know, I want my shit to be like specific to my shit, but I'm happy to write shit for you and have your shit be specific to your shit. And then I didn't talk to him again, but uh, that's how consultants
0: talk. By the way, consultants (laughs) say, no, you can't use my shit, but I'll make shit that you can have for your shit. That's exactly how consultants talk.
1: (laughs) It was just such a wild, small world thing. Like, of all of the surgeons I could have fallen randomly into the office of, it happens to be this guy who I'd already emailed, had an email relationship with, and who was already familiar with some of the things that I do. Like Dr. Garth McJunkin. (laughs) What are the chances? Christopher Wall in Issaquah, he's a super cool guy, and the company's called Mischief. And they are really, really pretty bikes. Cool. So <clears throat> it was like, I just like the weight of the world just came off my shoulders. And then I, you know, I was still kind of spinning out, but he gave me a hug and said, everything's going to be okay. We're going to, we got a game plan. Um, probably shouldn't have done the surgery the way, if you were like an office guy that you just drove to work and sat down and got up and drove home, you know, the, the graft that you had before was beep would be fine. But you're active and you do cutting sports and stuff like that and it's just not it's just not a good idea. So um it's gonna be a, a real process to get this thing put back together, but he's confident that we can. So the all week I've just been spinning about this. Like it's just it felt so good to feel like I was being seen and heard and, you know, embraced.
0: This sounds not only like a story, uh, the story of catching up since last week, which we do every week, but it also sounds like a shout out to Dr. Wall, who hugged you. I've never been mm-hmm. hugged by a doctor. I am i don't know that I want that all the time, but
1: I, I really needed it. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing, I just like like I I, I think about it and I well up, you know, like this is it's impacted me. Not only physically, but really emotionally. And when I when I hurt myself last time, you know, I I was with someone, and I had a place where I felt safe, and I had backup. And you know, I don't have that now. And and um, it's really uh, scary in ways that I it was sort of um I uh, underestimated. Mm and uh and just to to have this experience with this guy is was just like i couldn't i couldn't have asked for more it was it means a lot to me yeah so weird you know small world i really like how the universe works sometimes
0: yeah and when you write things about um when you write the sorts of things that you write and put on bumper stickers you don't expect it to cascade into an orthopedic surgeon right? Who, who's got your number and is going to take care of you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just really, I think the one that he has is, um, uh, the, I don't fuck around, but when I do, I don't fuck around. And that just, I fucking love that. And my old, uh, my old dentist in Oakland, she had a sticker on her car that said honk if you love dying and being dead and i just randomly found her too you know but like we became good friends and i think she may have had some of my stickers or she she might have had a respect Women" shirt before we ever had any association with one another so it's just so cool how you know kindred people find find their find their people sometimes yeah yeah i don't know it just made me feel less alone in all of this which is great Yes. Um, so how about you? How has your week been?
0: Um, my week is okay. All I do is take people to the doctor.
1: And volleyball games.
0: And volley That's exactly, that is pretty correct. So I, you know, <laughs> last week I took my mom to the doctor. <coughs> then over the weekend I took my wife for her regular mammogram. Uh, then I took my kid to a doctor's appointment and then uh, my mom's got to have some surgery. So there's some pre-consult and some surgery and some post-consult. <laughs> um, so I just go to doctors is what I do all the time. Um, and I go to vol- I'm going to spend the whole weekend in Providence. Uh, having trying to, like, keep the whistles, the constant whistling of the whatever the umpire or the referee, because every court has one and they whistle every point to start and they whistle every point to end it's a and lot if you're, of whistling. and if there are 60 courts with two whistles per minute you can imagine what that sounds like and what it does to a fragile psyche like mine
1: Do you wear earplugs?
0: Uh I haven't typically but I last time I'm going to wear some noise canceling headphones this time I think
1: It'll be I'll be interested to see how that Works, I you know like I just think sometimes headphones work good. I've never used noise canceling anything before, but definitely wearing earplugs in like additionally noisy situations. Even like you know crowds at like a like a baseball game or something like that. That's too much for me. Yeah, I, mean, I think that happens when you get older. Your your ears become a little bit more sensitive. Maybe.
0: Well, it it mine seem to have done that. But at yeah. the same time, I listen to like really loud, chaotic music. I don't understand. Like, it, I feel dumb. Like, how is it that I can listen to, I don't know, lightning bolt really fucking loud in the car, like loud enough that the side view mirrors shake. But then I go to a volleyball tournament. And I'm like, ow, you're hurting
1: my fragile fragility. Um, maybe because it's it's something that you're in control of. Volume you that you're in control of, um, you know, it's. Guy, it, you know, I feel the same way, but it's also like there's no rhythm or there's no structure. There's no structure to uh, wild amounts of whistling or crowd noise or you know something. I, I go to dinner with my parents and um, and my dad like spends out about some like people having a conversation like five tables over. Yeah. Like a normal volume or, you know, somebody laughs loud and it kind of. I, so I think that um, I think that you're. Yeah, I just think that your ears, your hearing becomes more sensitive the older you get. And I hope that I don't get to a point where I'm like, no, nope, all I want to do is listen to whale songs. You know, <laughs> well, the other I thing about
0: that, these tournaments is it's like the constant feeling. You know, what, like if you're in a really you walk up to a really crowded bar. Uh, and you're like, oh, I, um, oh, there's a table at the back, right? So you worm your way through this crowd and it's like squeezing and whatever. That's how volleyball tournaments are also. There's a million fucking people there and there's this constant sense of like, stop, start. Uh, it's, it's tiring. It's really tiring. Yeah.
1: Like I would sit, have encouraged my kid to take up chess
0: Yeah, or, um, cello what's another? Or-
1: yeah. What's another quiet sport? Yeah. Uh, pool is pretty, I mean, except for the clacking of the balls.
0: Yes, the ball uh, clacking.
1: Pool or uh, or putting. Miniature golf. Miniature uh, golfing which, would have been which, a good. Which, which we've <laughs> <Shh>. <laughs> That's a pretty
0: quiet sport. Sprouts is a par three. <laughs> windmill. The timing of the windmill looks pretty regular today. Subtle wind. Somebody.
1: When I said I have played miniature golf a bunch, uh, a couple of months ago, somebody posted a link to an actual pro miniature golf tour. Like, this is a thing, and there's, oh, like, yeah, a yeah. person. Oh, man, that was so cool. I watched that video a couple of times, and I just thought, I think I, think I could do it. I'll mean, be like, um, you know, the guy in Kingpins, like, uh, accident, Randy Quaid, or Dennis Quaid, the, one of the Quaid brothers, who's the, who's the Amish pro bowler.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randy. Like Quid.
1: an accidental pro. Yeah. Or um, the, uh, uh, the North Shore, the guy who like surfed the wave pool in, in Kansas and then went to Oahu and, and smoked everybody. Right. I might be that guy.
0: You're that but, guy of the mini golf
1: world. But for miniature golf. Yeah. Uh, well, um,
0: I'm going uh, to if you don't have a Wikipedia entry now, I'm going to start a Steve L. Knievel Wikipedia entry. And, and say that you were an American professional mini golfer.
1: <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I look at my high school Wikipedia page, and um, there's been some there's been some notables uh, to come out of there, but um, as of yet, I've not been added.
0: You haven't so, made, You haven't made the cut.
1: Uh-uh. No, I know that. I w- that's when I really know that I will have made it when I've when I'm on the my high school's Wikipedia page. The guy the drummer from Rise Against. He, oh yeah. He, I guess he was uh, like four years younger than me. I didn't know that, but I I found that out when I was looking to see who was on it. I think there was an astronaut uh, from a, a punk rock band. Um Trey Parker from South Park fame. Yep,
0: yep.
1: He was a year above me. Uh Masters uh, BMX legend, Christina
0: Sinkovic
1: that's that's right that's right she should probably be on the wikipedia page before before i am archaeologist and masters bmx yeah legend christina sinkovic
0: (laughs) i heard she is the um she is the inspiration for the lara croft tomb raider
1: character hmm. That's the word on the street.
0: That's the word out in those streets.
1: <laughs> uh, let's get on to, uh, shout outs and then do the stuff.
0: Well, I just have two quick shout outs. Uh, one is to, uh, Savannah, Georgia's metal mayhem, uh, practitioners, Black Tusk, who have a new album coming out for the first time in six years. If you don't like Black Tusk, there's some, something wrong with you in my, my estimation. They are, they play what they call swamp metal. Um, -hmm. and I find it very endearing and delightful. Also, there's a new live quicksand performance from on the KEXP YouTube.
1: I watched that. Um, also, if you don't like black tusk, you can try uh black breath or black Cobra or black flag or or any of the other black, black, black bands of black.
0: I like most of the black bands.
1: I do too. I do too. Um, So I watched that quicksand performance, and uh, I saw them, I guess, the day before or the day after, or maybe that day. They played live in Seattle, and it was fucking great. And that performance in KX, granted, you're in a studio or whatever, um, I sort of felt like Walter was asleep.
0: Well, what I noticed, I'm shouting it out, but I did watch it also, of course. And what I noticed is that his voice is kind of blown out. So it's yeah. it's pretty clear he's on they're on tour. Like he, I think they are tired, and I think his voice is a little wrecked.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was kind of just pulling punches, like he wasn't really going for it because they don't have to go for it because they're playing another gig that night. So they're kind of he's kind of like, you know, yeah. ha- half steam, kind of half whole- power.
0: Got to hold back. My buddy, Che, who manages um, rock tours around the country, uh, familiarized me with the concept of the rock doc. And the rock doc is someone who will inject cortisone into your vocal cords. Oh, fuck no. Yeah. No. So, you know, people who are on tour and are screaming all the time, they get to a point on tour where they actually are just vocally fucked. Mm -hmm. So you call up a rock doc in every city, if you're a good tour manager, you know who the rock doc is in every city and you call them up and they will, um, get you going again.
1: No, thank you. I would just try to space a tour out, you know, so you have like a couple of days, drink a lot of lemon and honey tea and all of the remedies. But I think I just can't imagine doing that, uh, you know, night after night after night, that would be, that's rough.
0: Yeah, I didn't get the sense that it was an everyday thing, but every, you know, depending on how, what your singing style is, uh, the screamier you are, probably the more often on tour you might need that. But some would only need it one time. And I don't want to start talking about who I, who gets it and who doesn't. But
1: um, Corazon is so bad for you. Yeah. Like, I've only gotten it a couple of times and um, and it was for Poison Oak. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I had it on my genitals. And that's sort of when they, they say like, no, you've got it all over 95% of your body. Just ride it out. But you show up with it on your genitals and they're like, all right, here you go. The day. See you around. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Do I have shout outs? Well, Dr. Christopher Wall, 100%. He's yeah. My shout out this week. Uh, we got, what do you got in terms of music?
0: Uh, My music pick this week is the last album by the Ohio slash North Carolina band Bitch Magnet. Uh, The album is Ben-Hur. I think this came out in
1: 91. The one with the beakers. It's like got beakers or some glassware on the cover. Is that that one? That might be this one. Maybe there's a face involved. Black and white photo,
0: though. Yeah... My visual memory is not so great here, but this is a great, <laughs> great record. They play mostly instrumental. What what Bitch Magnet sounds like to me is if Big Black and Slint made a record mm-hmm. together.
1: Yeah, well, it was all kind of the same school. You know, like you had uh Roadhouse or India East Trading Distribution and Touch and Go Records, and you had, you know, you had this like this little a pod of bands that that kind of came out on that label or with that distribution company around that around that time, and I think I don't know Steve Albini probably had some hand in it, or I he, think I probably learned about them through him. He
0: he recorded
1: their first record.
0: I know I know that, uh, but they you know it's not surprising because it is all in that sort of like heavy. Uh. It, like, heavy instrumental sound, but it sounds like it was recorded in a big room.
1: Mm. I think uh, some some people from Squirrel Bait might have been yep. uh, associated with, with Bitch Magnet.
0: Yeah, they are in the Squirrel Bait family tree.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're great. Um, good pick. Uh, I don't have a single record. I have gone, I think I've talked about this before, there's only three bands that I ever do this with where I'd like start listening to a couple of songs. And then the next thing I know I'm listening to the entire discography on repeat and like jumping from one record to the next record back to the first record to the last record. Yeah. And it's, it's always ever monster magnet, uh, or tool or rocket from the crypt. Yep. And this week, I guess I was listening to, um, circa now, which is, I think that came out in like 1993 rocket from the Crypts record circa now. And the digital version has four additional songs that I didn't know. This was a thing. I guess this, uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is like, nobody told me about it. I don't listen to the digital version. The, you know, because I've, I've got the digital, well, I've got the digital version on my, in my collection or whatever, but it doesn't have the four new songs. So I've, found these four new songs and that was really exciting because i haven't heard new rocket from the crypt uh in since they you know disbanded and so then i jumped around through that and then i listened to circa now all the way through and realized that that's a much better record than i ever gave it credit for being it wasn't my one of my favorites uh but just like the whole discography i don't know how you're gonna put that just put that band as my music pick, rocket pick- from, i'm gonna
0: put circa now as you pick but yes rocket from the crypt i mean rocket from the crypt
1: i love them so much and then i started thinking about when i first the first time i heard them my uh housemate ashley brought home uh there was a cargo records compilation called head start to purgatory i think it came out in 1990 or 1991 and it had like drip tank and crankshaft and uh, Fishwife and Drive like Jehu and Rocket Crash Worship like a bunch of just all San Diego bands, and um, of course was familiar with some of them, uh, Crankshaft and um, uh, Crash Worship, um, but Rocket was a new that was a new band to me at that time, and they had a song called Battery Liquor Nail Biter or Nail Biter or Back Battery Liquor, one or the other. And it's such a fucking banger. And then from that point forward, I think paint, like, paint, paint as a fragrance, fragrance, paint like a fragrance, paint, paint smells like a fragrance, like Teen Spirit, that record, I think that was already out, or it was out around that time, and it was just like, from that point forward, I was all in. Like, everything they released, every seven inch, and they really fucking prolific. You know, like, yeah, they just, they, at, the, at their peak, they were putting music out faster than you could... Procure it. Um, definitely, definitely one of my top five all-time favorite bands.
0: What would you say your favorite rocket single favorite rocket song is?
1: Uh, tiger Mask or I'm Not Invisible. They have. Right. A, there's another one that's on a seven-inch that's got a. What's on the cover? Maybe there's a rooster on the cover. I don't remember what that was called, but that's real fucking good. Bill from Ozorn uh, and who writes the tiger who. Uh, who writes the tiger thoughtfully, let us use their song bandini mountain for the intro and outro music on this podcast. He sent me a text at one point. He said, if you were to pick your favorite, like what's, what's your favorite rocket record? Uh, or fi- what are two like good entry records? What are two records that are going to like show me wh- who they are you know, entirely? And I couldn't figure it. Uh, Cause they're all so fucking good. But I think, if somebody was interested and wanted to kind of dip their toes in, I'd say uh live from camp rec live from camp X-ray and, um, screamed, Di- scream, Jesus Christ, scream, Dracula scream. I think those are two real good ones. I wish the name of, of that record wasn't
0: scream, Dracula scream, but Jesus Christ, scream, Dracula scream.
1: <laughs> my, my mouth is not working so good. They, and they had another one called hot charity and, um, I read an interview. I think my friend Peter Markham did an interview with them. Uh, he's a Danish cat. He turned me on out to do a ton of really good Scandinavian rock. Uh, but he, I think he called it Hot Dracula, <laughs> and they were like, "Fuck, that's a great name. <laughs> like, let's call this. Let's, let's have a record called Hot Dracula." Um, yeah, so a rock from the crypt, man. Anything. It's all. It's all great.
0: It's all great.
1: All right. Should do, we take a, a we break? A word. Yeah, we get a word from something, and then we'll be back in a second.
0: Hi, it's Robot. By this point in the podcast, you're all in. You're going the distance. Not all your life choices are the best, but that's okay. None of us is perfect. Here's where I lay it on the line. We're going to entertain you for an hour. We'll do it again next week. In a month, we're going to give you four hours of belly laughs and deep, deep thoughts. All we need from you is a $3 a month subscription to the Cycling Independent. Three bucks, a cup of coffee, a really cheap beer. You've, you've got that money, and we, and we need it. If you've got more, there are 5 and $10 subscriptions, but we're not pushing. We're not pleading. That $3 would help plenty. And now... Back to whatever inane nonsense we were talking about before.
1: I don't know what happened. I mean, welcome back. Okay. I don't know what happened. But it was probably Green Day's fault. Everyone went from making fun of us for listening to weird music to elbowing us out of the way so they could buy Red Hot Chili Peppers t-shirts at Target. We went from saying this music should be more popular to wishing that it really wasn't so much. At least we still have the Jesus Lizard. What... What?
0: So, uh, so, uh, it's interesting that you picked, uh, you were talking about, um, rocket from the crypt, early rocket from the crypt. And I picked bitch magnet, both about 1991 because 1991 was the same year that the sonic youth tour documentary, the year the punk rock broke, um, came out. Uh, and it was a tour documentary. It had, uh, Nirvana was on that tour with them. Um, so it had a bunch of different uh, music in it, but it also marked this moment where those of us who uh, got used to checking like the college or the indie charts or whatever, or we had latched onto record labels like alternative tentacles or SST or touch and go or et cetera, et cetera all of a sudden the bands that we were like these are our people were were like possibly superstars and we suddenly yeah. getting like inundated with major label contract offers so it was this shift from like um sst had that whole corporate rock sucks thing to like all right we give up we'll just be corporate rock now a lot of the, the the little labels actually got bought up or got shares bought in them by bigger labels.
1: Yeah. Uh, sub pop got bought by Warner brothers. And then that was a huge or bought part of the 49% or something. I think at the time, uh, yeah, they became, they went from our people to, to everyone's people. And it was an interesting, it was an interesting thing to watch, uh, was a band from Kansas City called Germbox. I think I think they were Germbox at that time. They were on tour and they were staying with the aforementioned Ashley and me. And uh, I remember being out at Ocean Beach, and it was right after Paw. You remember Paw, the three piece from Lawrence, Kansas?
0: Mm, not really.
1: And they had. One or two seven inches out at this time, and they were just playing, you know, little, little dime bars. Yeah, and they they signed a Sony for a million dollars, and yeah. I, I was just like, "What the fuck?" Like, and and this is this is a conversation that I had with these these guys in this band that were staying with us. Like, if you write songs about just trials and tribulations and being a being a normal person, and then suddenly you're being paid. A huge amount of money to be—it's almost like your caricature of yourself. Caricature, is that the word? Sure. Yeah, caricature. um We're like, yeah, you can be like moody and brooding, and you can reflect on, you know, like it. I feel like struggle always creates art. I, I think adverse adversity creates art. Like, and this is this is just my perspective. This is just my experience. I can't imagine not having some mm, conflict or some dynamic where in my life that wouldn't that wouldn't help sort of inform an angsty expression. And suddenly, Pa is making a ton of money and doing videos and stuff. And and so, where, where do you find your inspiration? That was the question that we were asking back then. Um, if I remember correctly, which I probably don't, the chronology after Nirvana blew up, it seemed like in real rapid succession, Helmet signed like a six record deal and Green Day was signed. And then all of a sudden you're like, and our people, this is how it seemed to me in my, this is how the scenario played out. People who don't necessarily have an ear for air quote alternative music, which was just music that was you know, different than music that was being played on the radio. They'd be like, oh, well, I don't know. Uh, Helmet is real heavy and they're real guitar-y. So sign them. And then um, Green Day is real poppy and real catchy, a lot of hooks. uh, So sign them. And then any bands that are adjacent to them, sign them. And there was just this huge dragnet, you know, and so many bands got fucked. Sam I Am, Uh, Serge used to work at a graphic design company that I, was a client of of a messenger company I worked for. And he said, basically, they they had a record. How it worked out was they recorded a record, you get an advance, they recorded the record, the record label won't release the record, so you can't tour on it, and you don't really owe, you don't make any money until you pay the advance back, but you can't tour on the record, because they're not putting the record out. So like so many bands had to just break up, you know, and he was like that. Uh, I interviewed to- uh, Mark and Lisa from the Toadies and they said the same thing as they signed to Inters- Interscope, yeah. you know, their first record, Rubberneck came out on Interscope in whatever 19- early 1990s, which I thought was a really great, real genuine effort. And they were like, man, we could write a book. They said we could write a book a million pages long about what not to do but on the other side of the coin had we not signed we wouldn't be in berkeley right now you know
0: it is this it is strange thing right like um i guess people give bands like minutemen and Hooskerdoo and some others credit for like figuring out how to tour as a nothing band fugazi
1: Yeah, right. And those guys just lived like monks. And I don't think anybody else thought that it was practical or reasonable for them to do that. But they would come home after tour and every penny that they made, they kept. (laughs) You know, you don't have booking agents. You don't like, you are handling all that shit yourself. And I was just, I always just thought that was so awesome. You know, you don't need, you don't, don't, we're kind of a little bit off track. Uh, I guess we'll probably circle back around to this, but I don't know. I don't know what, what popular, like everything became accessible. And then all the people who, you know, like everybody was all the squares, the, the previous existing nine balls, all were sort of absorbed by all the normies.
0: Well, there's that phenomenon. But what I'm saying is that in the eighties, there was this, thing where underground bands figured out how to couch surf, how to like get a shitty van and couch surf their way to do like an actual tour. Mm -hmm. And I think it was pretty rough, right? Like sleeping on floors, eating for a buck 50 a day. Sure. They were really earning it uh, without earning anything. (laughs) Uh, And then all this money flooded in. And it sort of fucked up whatever that struggle was. And so on the one hand, people were like, I really wish this wasn't such a struggle. I really don't love sleeping on the floor all the time. But actually, maybe it turned out that sleeping on the floor was necessary to keeping it going in the right direction.
1: Yeah, well, I've never I've never been in that situation before. But if somebody offered me a little bit of comfort, you know, a little bit of security, Would I, would I turn it down because I got to, you know, I got to stay true to my credibility or whatever. I just, oh, it always seemed to me that there was a, there, there would be a happy medium. Uh, Sure. And, and I don't, you know, like some bands figured it out. And another thing uh, Mark from the Toadies said, he's like, man, if it, there's a, there's a line of thousands of yokels who want to be rock stars, you know, like it's, it's like a, it's like everybody's fantasies to be to be a to be an adored musician. You know, you go to see bands and everybody's like they are captivating everyone in the room. And how cool would that be? We always talk about like what it's like to be in a band that plays the kind of music that you like, um, and to play music that you really like with people who you really like being with just is an incredible notion to me and then to have people like looking at me that's really exciting and so if anybody gets that opportunity and labels are blowing smoke up your skirt of course you're going to you know of course you're going to pursue that
0: no I, I i think it's absolutely i think that's absolutely right i think Fugazi is maybe the only band in the entire universe that was like nope there's a great little uh, documentary about Fugazi called Fugazi, The Path of Most
1: Resistance. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of that.
0: Oh, yeah. Look that up. It's, a, it's short. but It's really good. And it makes the basic point that only Fugazi decided in advance exactly how they were going to do it and stuck to that. And I know that's not true. There's plenty that have done it um, the hard way. Uh, For better and for worse. And I don't blame anyone who was like, fuck, is it so much to ask that I make a living at this thing that I Mm -hmm. do? Uh, And it absolutely isn't. But I I do think the the sort of perverting process that goes on is that you get given a lot a bunch of money to do a thing. And you're like, well, a lot of money is great. I'm going to try to do more of the thing exactly like the thing that you bought for me before.
1: Well, that's, that's a, that's a pitfall of making a living in, 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 a, in a creative endeavor too, I think, because your critics and your fans love X and you are known, you became known for doing X, but the, but the foundation of the creative process is evolution. And so naturally, organically, you're going to change. But when all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't change too much. I can't, you know, I can't do Y. Because it it might it might it might risk what my my economic security or well being, and so I could see how that would be st- pretty stifling.
0: I think so, and I think it also like uh, misses the entire point that pop music is really fickle. So okay, you got some you got popular, you got some money their tastes are going to change and you're going to have a real hard time anticipating what they are. Um, So like you say, I think a lot of bands broke up. Uh, A lot of people blew money that because they thought they would, there would be more behind that. A lot of record labels took advantage of bands with, you know, basically I, we own your music and you're going nowhere because we don't think it's the right time for you. I mean, all manner of bullshit happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right around the same time. And I did when I referenced or when I interviewed Mark and Lisa, I referenced this article that came out. uh, I guess it was not long after Kurt Cobain had killed himself. Um, And I remember that it being close because there was a there was a issue of Maximum Rock and Roll uh, that came out that the cover said, some of your friends are already this fucked up. And it was a picture of a guy with a gun in his mouth, I think. Mm -hmm. And the primary, like the, the, the focus of that issue was an article that Steve Albini had written called the problem with music. Uh, and it's available online and I, it's so good. I mean, he's, he's, he's so good at articulating, um, the finer points of what, what, what he sees as a problem with finances meeting creative endeavor meeting just the umbrella of the music industry. Um, and and it's a, yeah, I mean, I would recommend anybody who's not read it, read it. And I'd recommend anybody who's read it, read it again. It was really, it was really illuminating to me at that time, but I, you know, whatever, like I'm a lifelong fanboy. I don't really think he can do any wrong. Um, So, question one, did Nirvana ruin punk rock by dragging the masses into the pit and making being a derelict dirtbag look too cool, or do you think Green Day did it by writing coked up pop songs and wearing skinny ties? Uh, Okay, two observations. There's always going to be an underground, like stuff that was underground that became mainstream. Um, You know, better for worse. Uh, people are attracted to shit that's cool, and in my opinion, that stuff was is super cool. You know, like I love that stuff. I loved outsider music. I loved outsider existence and lifestyle. And uh, you know, when you see when you see like uh, four hundred and fifty dollar gutter punk pants being sold at a boutique in Brooklyn, you're like wow, oh, whoa, whoa, you see fucking punk rock jackets being sold for $1,500 or battle vests or, you know, like, like it's cool shit. And people want to, people want a piece of stuff. That's cool. or You know? Yeah. So whatever that, that'll happen and it'll ebb and flow. And, and it's real easy for me to say, cause I've never been, I've never lost anything in, in this ebb and flow, you know, like, I I, I like to I I like to be a little different, you know? And if like all of a sudden what I wear or how I operate became marketable or somebody could make money at it and then all of a sudden I'm just like now, that, now I don't feel in, any different. I don't feel like an individual. I feel like I look like everybody who looks like me and then I have to change it up and you know, wear three hats at one time or <laughs> <laughs> so something like, you know. Yeah. Something like that. Indiv- indiv- everybody wants their own little bit of individual individuality.
0: I think it's interesting to think that um, there's all this, there's always, as you say, there's always underground. There's always underground fashion, music, film, literature, uh, philosophy, all of that stuff. And what happens periodically is that it comes too close to the surface, right? Like if you think of, of the Bleach record that Nirvana put out, in one million years, that record is not going to be the record that that blows them up into an international phenomenon. But then they got in the studio with Butch Vig and they made Nevermind. And it's it's like Butch Vig made what Nirvana was listenable enough for it to break the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that's going to happen all the time. Right.
1: Couldn't have, but I really, you could have knocked me over with a feather if you said, you know, previous to that record, be like, oh, it's actually just going to be this little fucking like dirty punk rock band from Aberdeen. That's going to be the, one of the bands that changes the face of music. Right. And my my mom, when I was a little kid, she said, well, who do you think is going to be like the, the who's going to, who do you think is going to change music? Like the way the Beatles did or way Michael Jackson did or. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like who do you think who do you think is going to be the one at that time? And uh, and I I guess maybe Thriller or Thriller, maybe Thriller had just come out, so I knew that that was like that's going to be a super important record. Um, But I would never, you know, I was probably twelve or. 10, 11 or something. I wouldn't have said no, it's probably it's probably definitely going to be one of, you know, like some noisy guitar band that's going to change everything. Right. It's just it's fun to look at it with a little bit of perspective and wonder. Uh So, uh I think I think it's just people wanted something different and and this came out and it was all it was timing, you know, it was, hair metal was real big and and extreme, uh, more than words was being played on MTV every, you know, 30 minutes or something. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it just wasn't, there wasn't anything to sink your teeth into. It so had run its, its course. It's, it's both bands, you know, it's both bands. And, so, and then, and then guitar, loud guitar driven music, uh, sort of started to bubble to the surface. And then every time you go see any band, everybody's like, freaked out like oh man this is a lollapalooza blew the roof off of tons of shit and then there was warp tour and there's everything was accessible right and really got
0: mollified
1: yeah 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 well just punk rock got mollified and now it's punk rock doesn't even mean anything anymore you know it means a ton of things to a ton of people yeah but it's not what it meant 40 years ago um Question two, in reality, what happened in the 90s is that regular humans and major labels caught on to the fact that some good music was happening on what used to be called middle or or, uh, used to be called the indie or college charts, and that led to a rush to sign small bands to big contracts. Most of those bands later got dropped as the wind changed direction, people flocked to the next thing, whatever that was. Uh, Was this period good or bad for the music we love? Uh, It just got driven underground again, because... You know, there's no money. One thing I have noticed is that there's like there's a lot of DIY shows happening around here. And from what I can tell between those, uh, Corey at Ritual Records puts on uh shows at the record store once a month. And uh, you know, just what I see on the internet, like kids are rediscovering how, how fucking cool distortion is again. Mm. and so i'm like the i'm like the old hippie from the 60s who's like oh man about time twangly meandery hit like nut like <laughs> uh, uh, uh uh like jangly hippie music became popular again it was just you know I had, all you had to do is wait 30 years yeah but the kids are putting a total unique twist like all their own on it and it's it's really fun to watch i feel Shit, man! I felt old going to the Gilman in like 1995. <laughs> uh, going to going to a fucking punk DIY punk show. Now uh, I think everybody's looking at me. They think they got think I'm a cop.
0: Where did that? Where did he put his walker?
1: <laughs> <laughs> man, well, we it's, well, it's fun and and kind of as hum, real humbling.
0: I mean, I think even using the the words punk rock makes you makes us sound sort of like. um Dumb throwback clue. You know what I mean? It's so. <laughs> it's such a like you say. It's such a nonsense. It's such a. It's such a nonsense. Um, and I think you're right. I think was it good? Bad? Yes, it was good. Yes, it was bad. Um, but whatever. I think the people who want to make music kept making music. I do think um, a lot of smaller bands have kind of like figured out the music industry now. Uh, in terms of like, uh, we're going to like push our music through band camp where we can make some money. We're going to tour a bunch because we can keep all that money. Well, most of it, um, we're going to push back on, you know, the merch cut that that venues take. I feel like that they're sort of like figuring out how to make a low level living and not getting too, you know, like that's fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, to the fewer the fewer hands are in the cookie jar, the more cookies are going to be left over, right? And I think that that if if anything, uh, if there was any positive lesson to be learned from the feeding frenzy that was nineteen ninety two or ninety three on through the two thousands, um, in terms of this music, and it's just this genre we're talking about now. Uh, I think that it was a good thing for people to learn that uh the, m- the more I- investment and the more involvement you have in your craft and your uh you know what your output um the more con the more control you have over it. Did I just use the word control twice uh,
0: the I, more don't know. Involvement I, was, I was glazed <laughs> over
1: <laughs> <laughs> the more involvement and investment you have over your output, the more control you have over. Everything. Your That's, destiny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do we got? Oh, now we're just gonna jump right into the. Would you rather? Yeah, let's do it. I think. Did we? We didn't really come to any conclusions with. Do we that. ever? No. No, not really. Uh, question three. Would you rather run a bread knife between each of your fingers and toes, or shave your tongue with a Gillette Mach 4? Is, um, are those like an extra sharp?
0: Well, it's got the four blades.
1: Would you cut your taste buds off?
0: Yeah, probably. Mm. I don't know whether they grow back or not.
1: I feel like everything on your body grows back. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Fingers? No, not so no. <laughs> much. Uh, oh man, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I I would have to, before I made that decision, I would definitely have to uh, confer with a medical encyclopedia. I reckon your mouth heals so quickly. True. And if taste buds did grow back, I would shave them off before I sliced up my f- fingers and toes.
0: But yeah, you're just, just running didn't... the you're just running the knife between there. You're not cutting anything off. You're just right. just those uh, like that sensitive that little webbing. Sp- Base between them. You're gonna uh, run a
1: serrated w- knife through there. Oof, serrated's worse. Serrated's well, that's a bread m- knife, right? It's a bread knife. Oh yeah, I guess it. I guess it is. Okay, uh, yeah, that's what I would do. I would shave my taste buds off if they grew back, and if they don't grow back, I would I would cut my my webbing. Hmm. Not be happy about it. Ooh, would I not be happy about it? But I like tasting things.
0: I'm into tasting things. Also, like blood in your mouth is so. Like that pain, the pain. Like I'm feeling, like mouth pain is extra painy.
1: Yeah, whereas well, it's real in, frontal, right? It's right. It's hard. It's right. Right there. It's right in your face.
0: It's right in your face. Whereas this stuff is all far away. I think I might go for the fingers and toes.
1: I like to think that you're sitting in a volleyball <clears throat> game, like you're like tenth volleyball game of the weekend, and you're just dying inside, and you, <laughs> and this is the shit that you're coming up with.
0: I mean, you're not wrong, but I'm also Gross. like. Would I rather sit through another two hours of volleyball?
1: <laughs> if I had the chance, if I had the opportunity to shave my taste buds off and leave the volleyball game, I would do that in a fucking heartbeat.: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, here's your outro. Okay. get some rest and plenty of fluids. Hydration is super important. Drink. Yes. Drink water, drink. How much you got to drink half your weight in ounces? That's what I've read. You weigh 200 pounds. You gotta drink 100 ounces of water a day.
0: There's no way anyone does it. that. You'll drown. Get to
1: it. No, no. I mean in a 12-hour day. You may feel <laughs> a little woozy after listening to Revolting. You might experience some subtle hallucinations or bleed from your eyes. Don't worry, it'll pass. Oh, and you're probably gonna shit your pants, but it'll be fine. We'll see you next week on behalf of the Revolting Podcast and Cycling Independent of Stephen. Yeah. Don't forget to suck it.